One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. really gives us an outline of how do we move into what God has for us. And we talked about um, a number of different aspects out of this book. We talked about uh, that they were in the halfway place and that oftentimes halfway is the hardest place. Who knows what I'm talking about? Uh, You know, at the beginning of the year, there's a lot of excitement. Everybody's got great expectations. At the end of the year, there's a lot of excitement, but how many of you know uh, the, the beginning of the second quarter, excitement is starting to wane. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so we talked about that. We also talked about the making of a leader and what God looks for in a man or a woman who he uses to bring people into his purpose. And uh, the good news in that is that you may not feel like a leader. You may not say, I'm a leader. uh, But if you don't feel like it, that's actually a characteristic that God is looking for. He's looking for people that the world would not look at to think that they're something special. But he looks at them and he says, I want to use you. I've got a great plan and purpose for your life. And uh, then a couple of weeks ago, didn't Pastor Nate do an incredible, incredible job? Come on. I was watching online. I got to tell you, I was waving a hanky, just saying, amen, amen. Uh, And it was an incredible, incredible message, a great word of encouragement. And, you know, the thing that has just stuck with me, and I I repeated it, and I stole uh, his uh, illustration of the airport and people going through the airport, carrying all the things, you know, all the water bottles and the big bag and all of that. And uh, he just talked about leaving some things behind to move into what God has for us. And uh, just incredible. Incredible, incredible uh, illustration. But today we're going to get into Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. And today, if you're taking notes, I want to speak to you today a message uh, that I'm calling a house of salvation. A house of salvation. And I'm going to read the whole of chapter 2. Is that okay? Is it okay to read scripture in church? I don't know if you've noticed this, and I feel this sometimes. I actually timed myself. How long does it actually take to read this? Because I'm like, I don't want everybody just checking out. But I think if there's ever a moment that we should be engaged and paying attention and, and, and filled with faith, it should be the Bible. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And so it's an important thing that we, we do it. And so uh, it took me four minutes uh, to read through Joshua chapter 2. And so uh, brace yourself for four minutes. I'll try to give a little intonation. I'll try to give a little excitement to keep you posted along the way, okay? But Joshua chapter 2, and let's start at verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from the acacia grove to spy secretly saying go view the land especially jericho so they went and they came to the house of a harlot named rahab and lodged there and it was told the king of jericho saying behold men have come here tonight from the children of israel some of you are paying attention now to the to, to the children of israel to search out the country So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the women took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. 
Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. As soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given no, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did uh, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token." And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall, and she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the streets, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from the oath which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it to me. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Then they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over, and they came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all this land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Let me catch my breath. A house of salvation. A house of salvation. Here we find, after all of the preparation, 400 years in bondage in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness, here we find the account of the very first children of Israel crossing into the promised land. And, you know, there's, 
A couple of things that I'd like to draw your attention to right off the bat. The first is this, that, that Joshua sent spies into the land. I think it's important that we recognize who Joshua sent into the land. Pastor Nate talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that he sent spies into the land to spy it out. And, you know, I think uh, ultimately every time God does something, there's always a spiritual spy that is a forerunner of what God is going to do. There's always a person of faith that before it's ever come to fruition, before it's ever been fully manifested, there is a person who sees in the Spirit what God will manifest in the natural. And notice that Joshua had, had uh, thinned the ranks a little bit from what Moses had sent in. Moses sent 12 spies, and now Joshua sends two. And if you know the story of Moses' 12 spies, 10 of them came back with a bad report. Only two of them said it's a good land flowing with milk and honey. And I love now Joshua is saying, you know what? We're going we're gonna to silence the voices of negativity. We're going to silence the voices of fear. In fact, we're going we're gonna to thin the ranks a little bit. We're only going to send two because we want to see a good report. We want people that are filled with faith. And everything that God does, I believe he gives us vision in advance for what God wants to do. And we could talk all about that. But today I actually want to talk about Rahab. And it's interesting that as these spies come into the promised land, uh, notice the first place they stop. It says this, that they came to the house of a harlot. That was the, the very first place. As they are stepping into this land that God has promised to them, they stop at the house of a harlot. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how they got to the house of a harlot. It doesn't tell us if there was a red light that drew them in. It doesn't tell us all of the circumstances that brought them to the house of the harlot. But it starts off by telling us that the very first place that they went was to Rahab's house, the house of a harlot. And I think in that, God is wanting us to understand an aspect of His plan and His purpose. That every time God is moving forward, there's always within it the promise of salvation. God is all about salvation. God is all about not just me fulfilling my potential. God is about saving people that are currently far from God. That's what we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday, that while all of us were far off from God, God rescued us. God saved us. God is about salvation. Aren't you grateful for that? I don't know about you. I'm grateful for that because there was a time when I was not yet saved. I was not yet experiencing the goodness of God. And even as judgment is coming to Jericho, uh, God is establishing a house of salvation. And I believe that's important for us to understand because I believe that today God is establishing a house of salvation among us. I believe that what God wants us to be, both individually and also collectively, God wants us to be a, a people that, that reflect, that communicate His salvation to the world, that communicate salvation to the world around us. And even as judgment was coming to Jericho, as when you read the next chapter, they, they march around the city and they lift up a shout and the walls came tumbling down. Anybody ever done a Jericho march? 
Some of you have done a Jericho march. We're not doing that today. Maybe in the future, but we're not doing it today. But as they lifted up a shout, uh, the, the city began to shake. And, and I believe that's true in the world that we live in, that the world we live in is shaking under the effects of sin. If there's ever been a time in our lifetime that we have seen a shaking, it's this point in time. How many of you think over the last couple of years there's been a little bit of shaking? How many of you think politics have been shaken? The economy has been shaken. Careers have been shaken. Friendships have been shaken. So much that we thought was solid has been shaken. But I believe that God is establishing and the church should be a house of salvation. That even as the world is crumbling around us and there's all kinds of uncertainty and fear, that our house, that, that our lives, that our families, that, that our church would be a house of salvation that's standing strong even in the midst of a shaking world. I, I believe that that's what God wants to do among us, that God wants us to be a house of salvation. And I love it that, that uh, Rahab's house was in the wall. Did you ever notice that before? She actually lived in the wall. That means that when the wall fell down, she stood firm. Her house was unshaken in the midst of uh, the shaking that was unfolding. And I believe that God wants us to be that kind of people, that when the world is shaking, the world is trembling, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? How are we going to get through this? That we can say our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, that we will stand firm, as Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. God wants us to be a house of salvation. Amen? And so I want to give you today three things that I believe are traits of a house of salvation. If we're going to be individually people that demonstrate God's salvation to the world, then if our church is going to be a place that, that there is a reputation, that's a place of salvation. I believe these are three things that, that we can learn from the life of Rahab. You may never learn anything from a harlot, but this is the one thing you can learn, okay? That was a bad joke. I'm sorry. I'll move right on. Okay. The first thing I want you to see is this, that a house of salvation, thank you, Marsha. I don't know if you're laughing with me or laughing at me, but I appreciate it. A house of salvation is number one, established by faith. A house of salvation is established by faith. When you look at the life of Rahab and you look at this story, what was it that brought salvation to Rahab's house. It wasn't her morality. It wasn't her goodness. It wasn't her religious moral merit. She had none. She, I mean, she was the opposite, right? She was the opposite. In our eyes, we would think, you know, if there was in the Jericho yearbook, least likely to come to Christ, Rahab probably would have won that. She would have been the least likely. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my human carnal thinking, I can think, oh, that person, they're so far. I don't think they'd ever. Well, that's the, the exact kind of person that Rahab was. She was not a good person the way that most of us may think of good people. She had no moral merit, but what was it that brought her to salvation? It was her faith. 
Ron spoke so powerfully of the grace of God, the goodness of God that relieves us from the pressure of performance. Rahab didn't hear, uh, you know, that Israel was coming and think, I better get my act together. I'm in big trouble now. She may have thought that, but she, she, it wasn't, I'm going to get my act together. She just realized, I have no hope. I'm hopeless. If judgment's coming to Jericho, it's certainly coming to me. Then the Bible says this in verse 9. This is her profession of faith. She says to the spy, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And it goes on, she goes on to say this in verse 11. When we heard these things, our hearts melted. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. I want you to notice that phrase. When we heard these things, what things? The report of the way God was working on behalf of Israel. The way that God was fulfilling His promise to His people. She says, when we heard these things, our hearts melted. Our hearts melted. You know, ultimately, all of us need to have a melted heart. All of us need to have a, a heart that the resistance and the pride and the, the hardness of our own hearts becomes melted to the, the good news of the gospel. Now, the good news of the gospel may not be good news if you are standing in opposition to it. It wasn't good news for the rest of Jericho that judgment was coming, and it would not have been good news for Rahab had she chose to resist against the work of God. Charles Spurgeon said this, that the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And there are some people, when, we, when they hear uh, uh, of Jesus, they hear the goodness of God, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that God through Jesus has made a way for us to be saved, to be redeemed. And when some people hear that, there's a resistance that rises up in their hearts. I don't need to be saved. Who does God think He is? I don't believe that there is a God. And there can be a resistance that rises up. And I know that there is a space where people are on a journey. But ultimately, the, the greatest point of salvation is the recognition that God is God and I am not. And until we come to the point where we go, you're God and I'm not, therefore I'm going to submit to you. That we are rising up against God. And, and, and the, the people of Jericho could have risen up and hardened their hearts. But Rahab says, my heart melted. My heart melted because I recognized that I was under the judgment of God. But she says, I believe that God has given you the land. I want you to notice that for Rahab, that was her profession of faith. That was the moment that Rahab is declaring the faith that is in her heart. God has given you the land. And here's what's interesting. That was the same faith that Abraham, the father of our faith, had. That the Bible says he believed God. What did he believe? That God was going to give him this land. He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. The father of our faith. And here Rahab, a harlot who's still lying, even in this story, is saying, I know that God has given you this land. And because of that, the author of Hebrews includes Rahab in the hall of faith. 
I have good news for you today. If perhaps you feel like you're far off from God because of what you have done or mistakes you have made, or maybe you don't consider yourself a religious person and you feel like, boy, I really got to work things up, that there is nothing we can do to earn the grace of God. There's nothing we could do. It's not by works. It's by grace that we are saved. Now, that grace produced works. She hid the spies. She put the, she put the scarlet uh, cord in her window. But I want you to understand that it was, it was the faith that saved her. And, and here's what I want us to think about today. What was her faith in? Ultimately, her faith was a precursor or foreshadow to Jesus. It's interesting to me. They said, put a scarlet cord in your window. Now, if you know the story of Israel, you know that when Israel came out of Egypt, God had commanded them to put the blood of a lamb over their doorpost. And and it was the blood of the lamb that was the demonstration that their faith was in God, that God was a covenant-keeping God. And here, Rahab putting the scarlet cord in her window. I don't think it's a coincidence that it was scarlet, that it was red. It was a repetition of that Passover, that just as God had delivered Israel out of Egypt, Rahab is saying, I'm trusting God to deliver me out of the judgment that is coming. And that's where the the source of all of our salvation comes from, is ultimately it comes from the blood of Jesus. You know, when I was a kid, there was a phrase that people used to say that I would hear. Maybe you guys uh, grew up in church like I did. Maybe you're familiar with this phrase, plead the blood. Plead the blood. And you know, when I was a kid, I heard that and I thought, that kind of goes in the, the same, you know, Christian uh, jargon, junk drawer, you know, category of things that people in church say that actually don't mean anything. Now, there are some things that are in that box. But plead the blood is not. Plead the blood is not. You see what plead the blood actually means? I, I know it's not trendy. I know it's not a cool, you know, thing. Put it on a t-shirt, plead the blood or anything like that. I'm not seeing any churches do that these days. But what it means to plead the blood, pleading is actually a legal term. Right, Joel? It's a legal term. And it is... Uh, it is appealing to the, the authority of the blood of Jesus. Just as someone may plead the fifth, I'm pleading uh, to the authority of the Fifth Amendment. I'm pleading to that authority. Or someone may plead their case. That's what it means to plead the blood. To plead the blood is not just Christian jargon. It's saying, I recognize that according to my own merit, I am under the judgment of God. I recognize I deserve death, but there is another who has died for me. Therefore, I am pleading the blood. I'm appealing, God, don't give me what I deserve. I'm pleading the blood of Jesus over my life. All of the benefits, all of the power, all of the victory that Jesus won upon the cross, I am appealing to that upon my life. And that's what Rahab was doing, even though she didn't know it. She was pleading the blood over her house. 
She was pleading the blood, that place that had been a house of harlots, that place that had been filled with with sin and immorality, that place that was still far from perfect. But when the blood came upon that, when the blood was, was over that door and over that window, it was the righteousness, the goodness, the victory, the blessing of God. All that God promised to Abraham became available to her through the blood of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm going to plead the blood on everything. I'm pleading the blood over everything in my life. I'm going to plead the blood over my house. I'm going to plead the blood over my family. I'm going to plead the blood over our church. I'm going to plead the blood over my health. I'm going to plead the blood over everything that God has given to me because I want the the fullness of salvation. And I believe God wants us to understand all that is available to us through the blood of Jesus. You know, many people may not understand, uh, you know, politically or culturally or civically the, the benefits that we have available to us as citizens in the kingdom of God. And I think that's important for us to understand, or citizens in America, I, I think that's important for us to understand. But even more so is the, the benefits that are available to us as citizens of the kingdom of God. And here Rahab, one that was far off, she was a harlot, she was... Uh, she was uh, a worshiper of Molech, a part of the, the Canaanite people. But as she was pleading the blood, there was, salvation came to her house. What an incredible, incredible reality that every single one of us can plead the blood of Jesus over our lives. So number one, a house of salvation is established by faith. Number two, uh, a house of salvation is existing for others. Existing for others. I want you to notice this. As soon as Rahab is saved and she receives that promise that she will be spared, I want you to notice what she says immediately. She doesn't just say, I'm saved. See you, suckers. See you guys. She Immediately she says, spare my father. Spare my mother. Spare my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have. And deliver their lives, our lives from death. I want you to notice that not only is a house of salvation established by faith, but a house of salvation exists for others. As soon as Rahab was saved, immediately she began to be concerned about those that were close to her but were far from God. People that she knew that when judgment came to Jericho, that apart from God's grace coming into their lives, apart from God's, God's protection over their lives, that they were bound for judgment. And the same should be true for every single one of us. If we have received the grace of God, if we have received salvation, the greatest manifestation of our salvation is that we begin to care about people who are not yet saved those who are not yet a part of the people of God. God doesn't just save us for warm fuzzies. God doesn't just save us so that we can sit around and sing spiritual kumbayas and have a nice, you know, Sunday gathering. God saves us so that He can use us to save other people. And the greatest evidence of God's grace on our lives is that we begin to care about the not yet saved. We begin to care about people that are far from God. Moses 
As Israel rebelled against God, I love what Moses says. Moses said, God, blot me out of, blot me out of your book. He, he's appealing to God. It's what we would call intercession. He's going before God, just as Rahab is, is going to God's people and saying, spare my family, spare my friends. Paul says this, I wish that I would be cut off from God's people if it meant the salvation of my people. I wish I'd be cut off. In other words, I'll give up my salvation if it would mean that my people would be saved. That's the love of God. I don't know if you realize that. That's what Jesus did. Jesus left the, the circle of community in heaven and he came to us. He left that relationship and was even separated by our sin from the Father so that we could be brought in. He was cut off from fellowship so that we could be brought in. That's the love of God. And that's what God wants us to feel towards people who are far from God. That we would have that love in our hearts for those who are not yet saved. You know, several months ago, as the Taliban moved back into Afghanistan and took control of Kabul, I know we all saw the images at the airport as people were, were, were beating down the gates, trying to escape the oppression, trying to escape the suffering that they had known just a generation earlier. And one of the images that's, that's stuck in my mind is the image of a mother at the wall of the airport lifting up her baby to the American soldiers. And she's saying, save my child. Save my child. I know what life is going to be like for me, but I'm, I'm less concerned about me than I am about my child. That's the love of God. That's the love of God that should be manifest through us, God doesn't want the church to exist just for a nice, you know, Sunday social club. The church exists for people who are far from God. For people that, apart from the grace of God, are destined for a godless, Christless eternity. I know it's, it's not a nice thought that we, we don't like to think about it, but there are millions of people, even billions of people around the world, some of them who have never heard the name of Jesus. Some who have never heard it in a compelling, clear, loving, winsome way. The church exists for those who are not yet. Who in your life is not yet? Who in your life is in the place that each and every one of us were at one time far from God? I'm looking around the room today and I think about some of you who I've known when you were not yet and I've seen the grace of God. Christine, I'm thinking of you. It's just been less than two years ago that God came into your life. And it doesn't mean that life is perfect. It doesn't mean that we are perfect. But it does mean that we have a place that we can put our hope when the world is shaken around us, that we don't have to be shaken, that we have a place of refuge. As the Bible says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Christian, it was a number of years ago that you, on Easter Sunday, got an invitation to come here. And in this very room, you made a decision to put your faith in Jesus. And your life has been transformed. I'm not going to blow up your spot of what you were before you came to Christ. But there's a transformation. 
that has come. And I've got to tell you, there's some Christians, and there's some Christines, and there's some Justins, and there's some Jennifers, and there's some Marshas, and some Lynns, and some Kendalls, and some Johns. Oh, Lord, help us, Jesus. <laughs> and some Joels. Across our city that are in the very place that we were, that we may think, they don't want to hear the good news. I want to tell you they're begging to hear the good news. They're desperate to hear the good news. If there was ever a time that the world needed the good news, it's today. And a house of salvation is established by faith, but a house of salvation also exists for others. It exists for others. We, as a church, why are we building and renovating a building on Lee Road, not just so that we can get together and have it a little easier and set up and tear down, although I'm grateful for that. The reason we're doing that is because there are people who are not yet. There are people that are going to come in whose lives will be transformed. There's boys and girls that, that God has already said, they're my child. They don't know it yet. They may not know me. They may not know my name but I've got their life marked out. I've got a plan and a purpose. That's why we're doing what we're doing for others, for others. So number one, it's established by faith. Number two, it's existing for others. And number three, worship, worship team, you guys can come back up. Number three is the house of salvation is extending for generations, extending for generations. We don't see this just from the passage that I read in the book of Joshua, but when you open up the New Testament, the very first chapter of the New Testament in the book of Matthew is the lineage of Jesus. And there in that lineage, among these other heroes of faith, the Bible says this, that Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. The New Testament opens up at a time when women were not normally named in the lineage and family line. The Bible opens up with the family line of Jesus. And in that, it lists a number of women. But specifically, this woman Rahab is mentioned. This woman that we don't know much about her other than this account. But she went on to marry Salmon, who loves Salmon. Why don't you marry him? Okay? She did. All right? And she became the great, I think it's great-great-grandmother to David. The line of Rahab that certainly apart from God would not have been a righteous line, a line that would have been twisted, a line that would have been warped with all kinds of twists and turns, now becomes the line through which God chooses to bring the greatest king that Israel ever knew and ultimately the great, greatest king 
of humanity, Jesus. Jesus came through Rahab's line. Wow. Wow, what an incredible reality that there in that house, as judgment was coming to Jericho, I, I don't know this, the Bible doesn't say this, but I got a feeling Rahab was bringing in not just her mothers and her mother and brother, brothers and sisters. She's probably bringing in the cousins too. You know, some some people use that term cousin loosely. You ever met somebody like that? They're my cousin. How so? How are you cousins? Well, we're not really cousins. We just call each other cousins. I have a feeling it was that. Come on, cousin. Come on, cousin. Get in here. Open the door. Everybody, get in. And that place was probably just packed wall to wall as it was shaking around him. And as the house was shaken, as the walls were shaken, fell down, Rahab's house stood firm, and within that house was the seed of salvation for all humanity. You never know what God has. Let's give the Lord praise. You never know. Would you guys stand? Could we all stand to our feet?